and welcome to The Future History of Newburgh, a series of short stories about a peculiar town on a peculiar planet, where science and magic mingle in an effort to save the worlds. We were mostly underground in the last episode, where we made some gruesome discoveries, and in this episode, we are going to try and pretend that none of that ever happened. What better way to distract ourselves than by attending a major sporting event? Here is Episode 4 of Season 3, Thumbs Away. Newberg's frenetic mood had reached a fever pitch in the last week. There were light board notices on almost every wall and pop-up holograms alerting people to the inevitable final showdown between two forces. Anticipation was a buzz in the air about who would be crowned the next ultimate thumb war champion. Even Dr. Gladys Weber had been caught up in the excitement. Dr. Weber was in between projects at the moment, an intermittent phase of life that she had come to call the doldrums. She had finished building her quantum computer. As fascinating as he was, he slept a lot, and she couldn't get him to run all the tests she wanted him to run. Dealing with a dragon was taxing. She had the time to move on to another project, yet she found herself uninspired. The great mysteries of the universe remained to be solved, but they seemed so overwhelming as to be uninteresting. And so, she floated listlessly in the doldrums. In this yawning gap of pointless existence, she had become sucked into the world of competitive thumb wrestling. The time-honored sport seemed to be as old as Newburgh itself, bringing sages and scientists together in a common interest. No enhancements or enchantments were allowed in the sport. Only skill was called upon, and the knowledge of the opponent's weaknesses. Over time, leagues developed, along with age brackets and weight classes. There were teams who thumb-rustled two or more people at a time. As thumb-war season progressed, the Newburgh Hospital became overrun with hand injuries. Ad campaigns warned people not to jump into the competitive sport without building up digital strength and dexterity first. Or, at the very least, they admonished participants to do some hitchhiking warm-ups, preferably under the eye of a qualified trainer. Dr. Weber had spent her idle time in the doldrums, watching recasts of the thumb war brackets as they narrowed down. Now, all the brackets had been settled, and she wanted to see the final championship in person. She pulled her knit cap tighter over her silver hair as the icy winter wind came close to whipping it from her head. She grumbled to herself about being in Midtown on such an evening. She preferred the weather of Lower Newburgh. Anywhere north of Mercury Road, there was a chance of running into snow, or worse, a gaggle of sages. The robed nincompoops became concentrated closer to Old Town. Still, she had to admit she was excited about this match. Excited enough to brave the chance of wand wavers and snowflakes. She descended the packed stairs into Section F of Newburgh's Mistrophony Stadium, named after a sage who had created magical music from the ether, which had led to the development of the word cacophony. It seemed that all of Newburgh was trying to fit itself into the stadium. 
jostled and rumpled from squeezing through the crowd, she eventually found her way to a row of open seats about halfway up in the stands. Even though the event would be projected in detail above the crowd, she didn't want to be too far away from the action. On the other hand, she didn't want to be too close either. The thought of getting blood on her new coat repulsed her. She hadn't been sitting long on the cold metal bench when she regretted not bringing a cushion. Die-hard fans around her displayed their devotion to the sport with cushioned bench warmers emblazoned with team logos, some even with their own sound systems to emit chants and sirens so the weary supporters wouldn't strain their voices. While she waited for her bench to warm the old-fashioned way, she gazed around at the projections on the walls depicting the match's opponents, twins Raj and Ravi Prasad, flashing menacing faces. She knew they weren't really twins. Raj and Ravi were actually the same person, plucked from two different Earths and brought to Newburgh. In one reality, Raj was a gifted scientist. Ravi was a powerful sage in another. When they first arrived to town, they were roommates. They loved and treated each other as brothers, but found they just couldn't live with each other in the end. After all, sometimes you just couldn't stand being around yourself. They entered the thumb wrestling competition each year, and the outcome of the match decided who would get to live in their house for the following year. There had been an even number of wins and losses on each side. Of course, Dr. Weber knew which twin she would be rooting for. Raj had been her intern a decade ago. He wasn't the best lab assistant she ever had, but adequate. Katie had been her favorite. She hated that she had to fire Katie, but that garbage debacle had been over the line. Dr. Weber had protected her in turn then, taking the blame for Katie's insane scheme of turning the lab trash invisible for a profit. But she couldn't allow her to keep working there. If she was capable of that, what would she do with Dr. Weber's ideas? Leaning away from the popcorn-spewing fan next to her, she scanned the rest of the crowd and recognized a few faces. There was that insufferable alchemy student, Humphrey Hobb, the barista from Granny Bones. What was his name? Tyler? Tristan? Trevor. The alchemist, Athelard, was seated near the stage in his most ridiculous red robe. The flickering lights of the projections reflected off his shiny bald head. That busybody journalist, Levin, was nearby snapping photos with her comm ring and jotting down notes. An article about the event seemed moot. Who wouldn't know what happened this evening? If people weren't attending in person, they were certainly watching the live stream at home. Dr. Weber spotted Chief Pearson along with several other uniformed officers. Security had been tripled. The pent-up tension surrounding the rumored, but as yet undiscovered, bomb was being released here in the form of frenzied fans and wildly placed wagers. People exchanged wary glances between raucous cheers, seemingly unable to decide whether this threat of a bomb was real or just someone's idea of a joke. Perhaps the perpetrator of this bomb gag was getting a thrill at seeing everyone in Newburgh wound up. Dr. Weber suspected the bomb threat was nothing more than a cowardly joke, but there was still that nagging uncertainty. She had no proof either way. In an attempt to stuff down the sense of the unknown and uncontrollable, Gladys purchased a carton of popcorn from a roving, pimple-faced teen and popped a buttery kernel into her mouth. 
She nearly choked on it when the crowd erupted around her. A troop of Zans emerged from backstage and did a cheer of sorts, aimed at energizing the audience even further. The match was about to begin. Dr. Weber stood along with the crowd to watch the Zan performance, which was more of a dance than a cheer. She could feel her heart pounding faster and even emitted an out-of-character whoop. The Zan dance was clearly affecting her physiology. It was then that she spotted Annie Gorski a few rows in front of her. Dark circles rimmed the woman's eyes, the kind Dr. Weber got when she pulled too many all-nighters in the lab. Dr. Gorski had an office in another wing of the complex. Psychiatry, was it? No, psychology. Dr. Weber corrected herself internally, then grimaced. Did a psychology practice really belong in the complex lab complex? It was more of a pseudoscience. She could have respected her more if Dr. Gorski was a psychiatrist, a profession which required an actual medical degree. They could prescribe medications and were well-versed in biochemistry. Psychologists seemed only to keep track of nebulous patterns of behavior. Where was the science in that? Whatever Dr. Gorski was doing, it was clearly keeping her up at night. Dr. Weber considered what could possibly be keeping a psychologist at her work all hours when she remembered the obituary she had read in The Weekly Planet. Dr. Weber had let an uncharacteristic whoop ring through her earlier, and now she was feeling an uncharacteristic pang of sympathy. The elation she had picked up from the Zan dance subsided, but the sympathetic stab still clutched her heart. She should have sent flowers to Darren Gorski's service. There was an empty seat next to Annie taken up by her purse. She was alone, too. And while Dr. Weber was used to going solo, she might as well go sit by her. She scowled at this philanthropic turn she had developed of late. What was being in the doldrums doing to her? She had to push past slobbering fans and unapologetically step on some toes so she could pass. But Dr. Weber made her way to Annie's side. Puzzled shock replaced the psychologist's forlorn countenance when Dr. Weber suggested that she join her. She didn't receive an answer, but Dr. Weber moved toward the empty seat anyway as the Zan dancers slithered off the stage. No, not there, Annie cried over the decrescendo of the crowd. Her panicked voice drew a few eyes. A wave of embarrassment washed over Dr. Weber as she asked, Are you saving this seat? Clearly, the woman was waiting for someone who was just running late. I apologize, Dr. Gorski. I shouldn't have presumed. Dr. Weber dropped her eyes and began to shuffle back the way she came when Annie stopped her with a weak hand on her shoulder. No, no. She shook her head. I was waiting for... I was hoping he would. She trailed off and then heaved a sigh. Dr. Weber stared at her, unsure of what to do. Approaching her had been a mistake. She should never be nice to people. She had a good track record of not being nice and not getting herself into these sorts of awkward situations. In one quick move, Annie moved her purse to the other side and wedged it between her and the sage next to her, taking up more than his share of room with folds of opulent velvet robes. Dr. Weber took an uneasy perch where the purse had been and busied herself adjusting her coat. Now that she was here, she didn't know what to say to the woman. I'm just, you know, trying to get out of the house, Annie said. Dr. Weber noticed she seemed to be more relaxed now, but it could have been a false front. These psychology types were manipulative, studying dreams and absolutely obsessed with mothers. 
She had hardly had a mother, and she turned out fine. At least, she thought so. Any idea that maybe she hadn't turned out just fine was effectively stamped out by the crowd around them, which stood again, cheering, and waved team flags as the lights dimmed for the arrival of the two contenders. A voice boomed all around them. Introducing the winner of 15 regional heavyweight titles, five-time champion of the ultimate thumb war, the Lion of Lower Newburgh, Raj the Mad Scientist The crowd burst into cheers, and silver flags waved throughout the stadium. Dr. Weber leapt to her feet, clapping her hands over her head in support of her former intern. Next to her, Annie also got to her feet and let out a cheer. The two women exchanged a grin. It was nice to know they were supporting the same contestant. A tall man jogged out from stage left wearing a white lab coat. Large goggles covered his eyes, and his black hair was quaffed to stick straight up, playing on the zany scientist theme. And from the opposite corner, winner of 13 regional heavyweight titles, four-time champion of the ultimate thumb war, your reigning champion, the old town omen, Prasad! Black flags replaced the silver as a man appeared to glide smoothly from stage right amongst a fog of fake mist. He wore a flowing black robe with an absurd conical hat. The two contenders stood on opposite sides of a square glass table, popping their knuckles and shaking the tension from their fingers. The voice continued to echo around the stadium as another shorter man in a black and white striped shirt walked onto the stage, the match's referee. The rules are simple. No enhancements, no enchantments. Only agility and strength will win the match. The winner is the first contestant to pin his opponent's thumb for the count of four. The referee gave a nod, and the two costumed men sat on transparent plastic chairs and placed their elbows on the tabletop, opposite hands gripped. And now, the match of the year, the ultimate thumb war championship. Are you ready? The crowd went wild. All together, the MC and the crowd chanted, One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. Dr. Weber chanted with them, pulled along by the eagerness of the crowd. A horn blared, and the match began. Raj pinned his so-called twin right away, but the black-cloaked sage slipped his thumb out from the hold easily. Dr. Weber could see the action in incredible detail on the projection over the floor. Several minute cameras buzzed about the competitors on tiny wings, capturing each movement from multiple angles and forming a three-dimensional, larger-than-life, hologram. It gave even those in the cheap seats a front-row view. The hologram sharply revealed the bead of sweat already forming on Ravi's face. Raj's face was eager. He was excited to dominate, and he pinned the sage's thumb again. Half the crowd cheered, but only for a split second before Ravi's thumb slid out from the hold yet again, this time dripping a brown, oily substance that oozed from his pores. Then the other half of the crowd burst into applause. Beneath his pointy black hat, Ravi grinned like a sly fox. 
Dr. Weber, along with a throng of people, hollered at the referee, demanding that he call the clear violation of the rules. No enhancements, no enchantments. The oozing oil was plainly not natural and must have been an enchantment of sorts. But the ref's eyes remained fixed on the match, his red flag fixed in his pocket. At the ref's flagrant oversight, Raj fired back with literal fire, erupting from a metallic valve that emerged from beneath his skin at his wrist. Flames burned away Robbie's oil and reflected ominously in the mad scientist's oversized goggles. The crowd gasped at the sudden brilliance of the firelight and then broke out into wild cheers. The referee again looked on, seemingly blind to the obvious breach of rules on both sides. Ravi's eyes widened in panic as he saw his thumb engulfed in flames, but as quickly as the fire appeared, it was snuffed out by a spray of white foam expressed from the sage's knuckles. The foam also covered Raj's thumb, and the scientist bit his lip, seemingly unable to move the digit. The foam had immobilized it. Seeing his opportunity, Ravi mashed on his double's frozen thumb with a look of savage glee. The crowd cheered, and though Dr. Weber booed at the sage's momentary triumph, this was what she had come for. This is what they had all come to see. The ultimate thumb war. No holds barred, no quarter given, fight to the count of four. The ref may have been blind to violations, but not to his role to decide the victor. He raised his hand and began the count as Ravi held his thumb fast over Raj's. One! Two, three. At the last second, the sage released his thumb, wailing in pain. The count was cut off, and the hovering hologram revealed the scientist's thumb was covered in iron spikes protruding from the skin. The digit looked like a spiked club. It was now Raj's turn to smirk as Ravi gritted his teeth, droplets of blood forming on his thumb where the spines had pierced him. The sage growled indiscernible words, and the crowd gasped again as tendrils of ivy bloomed forth from holes in the man's extended thumb. They stretched out to coil around his double's hand, snaked up his wrist, and around his arm. Raj howled in pain as the skin on his hand and arm broke out into weeping red blisters, but he didn't release his grasp. To do so would be to forfeit the match. Black flags waved throughout the stadium, and Ravi used his opponent's moment of weakness to secure his thumb in a tight grip. The vines receded back into Ravi's thumb as the referee began to count down again. Raj's eyes watered, and he breathed heavily to regain his composure. The opening at his wrist expanded, and the count was interrupted when bands of thick metal emerged covering his thumb in a telescoping armor. The action forced Ravi's thumb aside. A plume of steam billowed from the thumb's hinge, and the telescopic metal rings thickened, making Raj's thumb three times bigger than his organic thumb. It loomed over the black-robed sage's trembling digit, and with a mechanical screech, descended onto it. Silver flags overwhelmed the black throughout the stadium as shining metal rods extended from the metallic thumb's sides and clamped over Ravi's thumb in an inescapable lock. The referee's count began once more. Dr. Weber and Annie were on their feet, jumping up and down and giving each other an awkward high-five. Raja's success was inevitable. Dr. Weber noted a spark of joy in the younger woman's eye, 
and it lightened her own heart to know her burdens had been lifted, at least for the moment. Ravi struggled, and on the third count, reached into his robe with his free hand, extracting a vial of green liquid. He brought the vial to his lips and downed it in one gulp. Instantly, his thumb grew, swelling like an inflating balloon until it burst past its mechanical constraints. The count was again halted, and the sage's fans went crazy, waving their black flags and blowing horns. Raj reeled backward, overturning his chair as his double's thumb continued to grow, overtaking the table until it was the size of a small pony. The scientist maintained his grip with visible effort. The rest of Ravi's hand had stayed the same size, but Raj had to stretch away from where Ravi's thumb had expanded. Raj pleaded with the referee to call the violation. There was no way for him to win now, even with his oversized robotic thumb. The ref crossed his arms in defiance. Dr. Weber clutched her hands together at her heart, eyes fixed on the hovering projection. There must be some way her former intern could still pull out a win even against these odds. Ravi let out a wicked, high-pitched laugh and slowly raised his gargantuan thumb in the air. He was poised to hammer it down on his foe, crushing Raja's thumb and likely breaking the man's arm into pieces in the process. His shrill laugh turned into a squeal of shock as a sudden change took place. The sage's head appeared to deflate, shrinking to the size of an egg on his wide shoulders. His pointed hat fell to the ground, bouncing off his now shrinking body. His arms dwindled into his robe, followed by his torso, hips, and so on, until his robe had collapsed to the floor and his body was no more than a foot high. Ravi dangled from the end of his monstrous thumb, naked as a jaybird, and legs flailing over the side of the table. The stadium coursed with laughter. With little to no counterweight, Ravi's thumb crashed to the table, breaking it in half and severing the men's grip. Ravi attempted to hide his nakedness by diving into his robes. With his free, miniature hand, he shuffled through vials, which had escaped from his pocket in the fall. Dr. Weber assumed he was frantically trying to find the potion that would restore him to his original size. Meanwhile, Raj was in a heated argument with the referee, his animated pantomime showing how, in his view, Ravi had broken their grip. People throughout the stadium were shouting their own sentiments and how they would call the match if it were up to them. The stage lights were cut then, and the house lights went up, glaringly bright and punctuated with red strobes from the walls. Sirens blared a warning before a soothing female voice spoke, drowning out the confused crowd. This is an emergency. Please walk calmly toward the exits and proceed to your homes. This is an emergency. Please walk calmly toward the exits and proceed to your homes. Dr. Weber slung her purse over her shoulder and met Annie's eyes. Were they being evacuated because of the bomb? Annie's skin paled and the spark of joy had faded completely. I knew this would happen, Annie said. He tried to stop it, but the bomb is still out there. She haphazardly pulled her coat on and moved to follow the crowd out the exit doors. Dr. Weber didn't pretend to know who Annie was talking about. She frowned after the woman, hoping she would get some medication soon. Her fellow spectators were markedly less enthused than they had been upon their arrival, but to Dr. Weber's surprise, no one groaned or resisted. Everyone made their way out of the building at once, a few running and pushing their way through, against the voice's command. 
Dr. Weber was thinking what they were all thinking. What better place to plant a bomb than at the biggest sporting event of the year? The sage, who she had sat by earlier, clutched her son to her, who was nearly too big to carry. Terror etched lines on people's faces. This wasn't a silly prank. No one was laughing. As she exited into the biting wind of Laurentium Street, Dr. Weber's jaw set in anger. Someone had to catch these baleful people. She stopped and looked up as the crowd swirled around her. The endless black sky, a mirror image of the doldrums she had come from, seemed to swallow all her anger, leaving her all alone. She felt small. She felt powerless. She felt afraid. That concludes episode four, Thumbs Away. Thank you so much for all of your support. And as always, thank you so much for listening and helping the story unfold. The thought of getting blood on her new cult. Nay. Nee.